0: Good morning, church family. It is good to see you here this morning on this beautiful April morning. Um, I just want to say a quick word. That in our next service, we will have a, be having a parent-child uh, dedication, so if you want to stick around and see some very cute children at the beginning of next service, I invite you to do that. I'm reminded because there's a crayon on the podium here, um, and uh, maybe I'll use that later to highlight some things, but if you have your Bibles this morning, please turn to Esther chapter 5. Esther chapter 5. Um, This morning, um, as we get into Esther chapter 5, I want to kind of give you a recap of last week. And so last week in chapter 4, we found Esther at the crossroads of faith, right? She was confronted by Mordecai with the news of the edict from King Ahasuerus that now her family and her people are in imminent danger so at this point in Esther's life she has to decide is she gonna respond in faith by approaching the king which I'll remind you was against the law or she could choose the path of withdrawal and silence retreat back into the palace and pretend that nothing is wrong and then watch her people be destroyed and at this crossroads of the very purpose of her life esther chooses faith esther chooses to go to the king to risk it all trusting god to do what only he can do now here in, a, in chapter five we're going to see how all of this unfolds as esther actually approaches the king so there's a lot of questions right if you're following along in the story and you know you you have maybe you haven't read the story i hope you have so there are spoilers spoiler alert coming up but We have to ask the question, well, how is the king going to respond um, to Esther's approach? What is Esther going to say to him? You know, what about Haman? What is he going to do? And what's God up to in all of this? And what we're going to see, here is the spoiler alert, what we're going to see is that through God's providence, through God's wisdom, Haman, who is the enemy of the Jews, will be given just enough rope to hang himself. We've heard that before, right? It's, we've heard that before uh, growing up, that someone has just enough rope to go out and hang themselves, and so that's what's going to happen to Haman. God's word is clear all through our scriptures that God is able to reverse the evil plans of others and turn back that evil onto themselves. Listen to Proverbs twenty six twenty seven. It's amazing how Proverbs um, is filled with wisdom um, that's applied in Esther. It says in Proverbs 26, 27 whoever digs a pit will fall into it and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling so there God is able to reverse the evil plans of others in Psalm 7 14 through 16 it says this behold the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies he makes a pit digging it out and falls into the hole he has made his mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull his violence descends and that's exactly what we're going to see happening in esther as the story unfolds so turn to esther chapter 5 and let's kind of read that um, and then we will pray it says on the third day esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters, where the king was sitting on his royal throne, inside the throne room, opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you even to half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted to you. Um, up to half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, my wish and my request is this, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, um, if it, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said... Even queen Esther let no one but me come to the king come with the king to the feast she had prepared and tomorrow also I'm invited by her together with the king yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him let gallows 50 cubits high be made and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it then joyfully go with the king to the feast this idea pleased haman and he had the gallows made may the lord add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning my tech my title this morning is providence versus pride so as we walk through the text today i'm going to try to contrast what we see in esther and what we see of god's providence and then what we see controlling haman which will ultimately lead to his downfall. So let me say, let's look at first, my first of three points. First, notice um, Esther's prayerful preparation. Prayerful preparation. If you look there in verse 1, and verse 1 tells us that on the third day, Esther approaches the king. Now that's important, don't skip over that. At the end of chapter 4, Esther had asked all of the Jews in Susa to fast and pray for three days before she approached the king. And so, all of the Jews in Susa, along with Mordecai, have been seeking God's help. They have been mourning, lamenting, praying, fasting, and repenting as they face imminent destruction. At, that, this is what all of the Jews are doing seeking God's favor. And on the third day, it says that Esther put on her royal regalia and then she approached the king. Now, this would have distinguished her, as she put on her royal robes, this would have distinguished her in the court as the queen. According to scholars, her robes would have been made of Phoenician purple with gold embroidery worn over white and purple garments. You can imagine that these would have been incredibly costly and beautiful, second only to the robes worn by King Ahasuerus himself. No one would have been dressed as Queen Esther. And lastly, we are told that she stood in the king's palace or king's hall across from the throne room. Now, according to one scholar, he says this, quote: "...the exact meaning of the words translated king's palace and king's hall is not altogether certain mainly because it's not been possible to identify the ruined structures at Susa to the extent that the palace at Persopolis has been identified and reconstructed. But listen to this. He says, there in, in Persopolis, which is a mirror of Susa, he says, there the Apadana, or Hall of Pillars, with its 36 columns, soared to a height of 65 feet, and its pillars were, quote the most splendid and airy columns ever produced by the hand of man. So this is the throne room, the hall room Esther stands adjacent to as King Ahasuerus sits on his throne. And here what we see is Esther has prayerfully prepared herself. She has prayed and fasted for three days. She has put on her royal robes, dressed herself appropriately, and she acts. She goes and stands in this place... Now here's the point. If Esther really believed, we've said that she was at the crossroads of faith and that she's choosing the path of faithfulness, faithfulness, and not faithlessness, that when she if she really believes that prayer and fasting are effective, her faith would require her to act. This is exactly what James means when he says, faith without works is dead. That authentic faith issues in action. It issues, in obedience. That's what happens. I said it last week and I'll reiterate it again this morning. God's people are called to pray and act. We are called to act and pray. Those are not mutually exclusive. We use the spiritual means that God has given us and we act with the other means that God has given us. So here, Esther is risking it all, trusting God to move even though she doesn't know the outcome. But she is prayerfully prepared Now, here's what I want to say to you. Christian, what are you praying for that only God can do? What are you praying for that only God can do? Who are you praying that God will touch and minister to? Who are you praying that God will bring into his family to bring them to salvation and make them a follower of Jesus? Are you actually even preparing yourself through prayer for God to act and move in your life are you doing that that is what Esther is doing here then like Esther you have to pray and act you have to do both of those things be the means that God uses be prayerfully prepared to be an instrument fit for use in God's kingdom that God would use you to minister to others to bless others but it takes it's a risk you have to pray and act that means don't just pray pray and act it doesn't mean don't ju- it doesn't mean just to act but act and pray but esther here is prayerfully prepared to approach the king which leads me to my second point because she's prayerfully prepared esther is also poised by providence she's poised by providence if you look back at verses two through eight um, you see this, that Esther carries herself in a different way than all of the people around her. She, is, she has an air about her, and she is poised in a way based on her trust in God's providence. And as usual in the book of Esther, God is moving, and God is working to bring about His purposes, though the author never mentions it. God is never mentioned through this section here, but this section is filled with hints with indicators of God's silent sovereignty. And I want to point out three. Three ways you see God, God's providence at work in verses 2 through 8. The first indicator we see is that Esther stands in the court of King Ahasuerus. Um, Sorry, the first indicator is seen as Esther stands in the court of King Ahasuerus. Notice that in that moment the text says that when the king sees Esther, Esther wins favor in his sight that's the first indicator of God's sovereignty here that Esther wins favor in the sight of the king this is the same phrase that is used of Esther back in chapter 2 when she wins the favor of the eunuchs and eventually wins the favor of the king as she's chosen to replace Queen Vashti and behind this favor is God's sovereign purposes this is the same favor that Joseph won of Potiphar in Egypt that Joseph won of King Pharaoh in Egypt. It's the same favor that ne- Daniel had before King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And here, God has moved Ahasuerus to see Esther with favor and extend to her the golden scepter. I'll remind you of Proverbs twenty-one, eleven. It says this, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. Behind King Ahasuerus' favor is the sovereign hand of God turning the king's heart toward Esther. The second indicator of God's providence is found in Esther's request. Um, The king approaches Esther knowing that there's a real reason for her to come unannounced. The king knows that if Queen Esther is dressed this way and she risks her life to come into his presence, that something actually is going on and notice um she wouldn't have just risked her life to dress up nicely i mean that's not what she does right this is not she hasn't seen the king for 30 days she's not she doesn't just want to put on her robes to have a fashion show and walk in and make a scene and risk her life and so the king comes to esther and look what he says he says what is it queen esther what is your request it shall be given to you even up to half of my kingdom now some of you might read that and go well that's that's a lot of favor Esther can ask for half the kingdom. That's quite generous King Ahasuerus, but I want to remind you that that is simply a formal greeting of the king. He's not saying anything extra there. All he, that's just a typical formal greeting of a king, and we know that because according to Herodotus, the historian, he tells a story of another woman whose name was Artanite, who took advantage of King Xerxes, King Ahasuerus, when he made that same promise And she asked for the beautiful robe of another queen, Amestris, who was his wife at the time. And the results were disastrous because he put her to death. She took advantage of that request, and the king said, okay, you can have the robe. And then he said, oh boy, okay, guys, go kill her because I want the robe back. Um, This is what the king's doing. But But we see this is an indicator of... God's providence here, after the king's greeting, here's the point, after the king's greeting, we expect Esther at this moment just to come out with her complaint, like, Esther, you have the, you've won the king's approval, he's given you the golden scepter, make your request, lay out the edict, tell him the problem, that's what we expect to happen, but that's not what happens is it? We see here the use of wisdom in God's providence. Esther doesn't just come out and make a request. There's at least three reasons. Here are the reasons. Number one, it wasn't the right setting, right? The king was surrounded by his entourage and his security and his handlers, and Esther knew that the king wasn't prepared for the brunt of the charges that were about to be levied against the king's number one official. It's not the right setting. But second, it wasn't the right audience, right? And as I said, the entourage is there, but you know who's not there? Haman. Haman is not there, and so um, Esther wanted to make her accusation in the presence of both the king and Haman, and th- which would certainly catch Haman off guard uh, without any help from those that would support him. So you see wisdom in Esther coming out here that I'm not going to make it in front of all your entourage. We're going to have a private meeting where I will talk to you and Haman alone. And then third, I want to say here it also wasn't God's time. It's not God's time. How do I know that? There are many things in the, that there are many things that we don't know yet in the story that have to take place. Haman is about to double down on his hatred of Mordecai after this first banquet with the king and Esther. He's about to build gallows that will ultimately be used for him to be hanged upon and also God is about to give Ahasuerus a very sleepless night later on where the the record keepers have to come and read to him. And on that sleepless night, when the recorders come and read to him, they're going to read about Mordecai's heroism in saving the king from murder. And in God's coming providence, Mordecai will be honored by Haman. See, it's not God's perfect time yet. That's why we see God's providence. But there's a third implied evidence here of God's providence. Something that's going on behind the scenes. Um, For those of you that like shows like Downton Abbey, and you like shows like The Crown, and you like shows like The West Wing, and you like shows like um, others, I could give you a lot of other examples, but all all these shows that revolve around people of, Power and all the political maneuvering going on behind the scenes between people jostling for position and working for, working for a promotion, what we notice here in God's silent providence is that throughout this whole episode with Esther, with the king, and with Haman, none of Esther's women, none of the women that are with Esther, none of Esther's eunuchs, none of them who know her identity as a Jew go and tell Haman or the king. Isn't that amazing? That in a palace filled with people who want to politically jostle and look for position and look for honor, who could go and get a promotion by saving Haman, who's one of the wealthiest men in the empire, who could go to the king and say, hey, there's a plot afoot against Haman and you need to know about it. They could have used this to get promotions or payment, but they didn't. So God not only gave Esther favor with, with the king, Esther had favor with all of the people that were, surrounded, that were surrounding her, her attendants and her eunuchs. Now here's what I want to say about this. Esther is poised by providence. Everything about her is poised by her trust and faith that God will work this out. Esther's faith and trust in God leads her to carry herself with a certain posture. If you noticed here, she's poised with wisdom. She's poised with wisdom. She knows now's not the right time to bring this up. She's also poised with humility. She goes into the court. She stands there. She's filled with courage. She's filled with boldness. Now those are characteristics that arise from a heart that is anchored in the truth Of God's sovereign providence. If your heart is anchored in the truth of God's divine providence over all that happens, then you will carry yourself in a different way than all of the people around you. What do I mean by that? When you trust God and you are anchored in His providence and you walk by faith, there's no need to be foolish, there's no need to be prideful, there's no need to be arrogant. There's no need to be anxious or worry-filled. You see, all of those are signs of someone who doesn't actually trust in God's providence because they're filled with something that's not rock solid. It's not built on a firm foundation. And let me tell you, those who walk with confidence in God's sovereign rule, those who are poised by providence, they also have no need to fear any man or any king. They're not controlled by fear. You don't run the universe. God does. I don't answer to you. I answer to Jesus. And you See, that is, the poise that, is that's the poise that trusting in God's providence brings. As David wrote in the Psalms, the righteous are as bold as lions. I have no need to be afraid. And my question to you is, is your life characterized by someone who is poised by providence? Do you carry yourself with all of the courage, boldness, humility, and peace that comes with trusting God and his purposes? And finally, I want to give you the contrast as we wrap this up. Got to move quickly, but I want you to notice finally prideful passions. So we've seen Esther who is prayerfully prepared. She's poised by providence. And now our author turns his attention to Mordecai who is the exact opposite. He is not controlled or poised by God's providence. He is controlled by his own passions and his own pride. Look there in verses 9 through 14, and I'm going to contrast Esther to Haman. All right. So Esther is poised, patient, humble, even kind to her enemy Haman. She's also confident and courageous, and now we learn about Haman. So I want to break this in and show you three ways that Haman is controlled by prideful passions first notice that Haman is a man with an insatiable desire for honor that's all he cares about look at verses 9 through 12 it says there um, it says there that and Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart he leaves a banquet filled with wine he's happy everything's good he's on the he's on cloud nine and then look but When Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate and that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of all his sons, and all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above all the officials and servants of the king. And Haman said, even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow, also, I'm invited by her together with the king. This is pride. Notice all of the personal pronouns in this section. Notice that he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh, he recounted the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, which is ten, and how the king had honored him, and how he was advanced over all the others. And Queen Esther had only invited him to her feast. He's a man that has an insatiable desire for honor. But Haman, secondly, is a man of rash and fickle emotions. You notice how he goes. I um, ha- look at the roller coaster ride of his emotions. First, he's He's joyful and glad from the banquet. Then he's immediately filled with rage when he sees Mordecai won't tremble before him. Isn't that interesting? That's exactly what he wants. He wants Mordecai to tremble before him. And Mordecai is also poised by providence. I don't tremble before any man, especially God's enemies. And that's what he really wants. It says that Haman was filled with wrath. So here he's filled with wine, Filled with wrath, just like Ahasuerus back in chapter 1. And now Haman is in exactly the same shape. And here's what i want to say. I made this point earlier in Esther. Whatever you fill yourself with must come out of you. Whatever you fill your cup up with, it will run out onto other people. And so I just want to say that. If, you feel, if, you're, if your heart is filled with anger, when you are squeezed, anger will come out of you. If you're filled with lust, then lust will come out of you. If you are filled with drugs and alcohol, let me tell you what's not going to come out of you. Self-control. That's not going to be what happens. The Bible says that Christians are to be filled and controlled by the Spirit of God. But notice also he's a man filled with pettiness and wrath. Haman has everything anyone could ever want, and yet that's still not enough. Look at verses 13 and 14. Notice Notice the language here. Then, uh, sorry, let me get in the right spot here. Verses 13 and 14. It says there, Yet all this, all of his accomplishments, all of his wealth, all of his family, all of his riches, all of his promotions, all of his power, all of his authority, yet all this is worth nothing to me. As long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the gate... Then his wife and his friends said to him, Let gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then joyfully go with the king to the feast. This pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. Isn't that amazing that this man has everything the world would ever want, and it's still not enough? That is petty. That shows you the fickleness of this man's emotions. And listen, listen, think about telling your friends your family, and your spouse, all of you are worth nothing so long as someone else doesn't recognize my greatness. Think of saying that to someone else. Think of the pride, the hubris that would fill someone to say, all of you are worthless so long as this one man doesn't honor me. That is crazy. Haman, and here's the point, Haman's already gotten what he said he wanted. Haman has what he says he wanted. He has an edict from the king that has been sent out to exterminate all the Jews but that's not enough any longer. He cannot wait and be patient and I want to say that's what sin does to us. Sin does that exact same thing. It makes promises it can never keep. Sin says if you just get this you'll be happy and satisfied. That's a lie. Sin says if you only had that job, or that car, or that relationship, or that amount of money, you would be satisfied. Haman has all of that, folks. He has everything, and it's not enough. When you stop and think about it, you know it's not true. The reason is that God did not make us to be satisfied outside of himself. All of life's joys and pleasures are meant to point us to the greatest joy and the greatest pleasure, which is God himself. We were made to glorify and enjoy him forever, not our sinful, selfish desires. But lastly, Haman is a man who rejoices in evil. You see that in verse 14. He says, tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it, then joyfully go with the king. You have to see this contrast here. See this. Esther prepares her banquet for the king and Haman. Esther prepares her banquet for the, for the king and Haman. Before she ever approaches the king, she acts in faith. I prepare the banquet, then I go to the king. And here, Haman builds the gallows on the presumption that the king will simply allow him to hang Mordecai on him. Then he'll go joyfully to the banquet. If Haman would have been an avid reader of Scripture, he would have known what Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Or Proverbs twenty nine twenty three, a man's pride will bring him low. And what Haman doesn't know is that much like the parable of the rich fool that Jesus tells in Luke 12, Haman is so overconfident that he thinks he can just eat, drink, and be merry when the reality is his soul will be required of him very soon on the very set of gallows that he has prepared. And that's the point. As I conclude this morning... I want to read to you Proverbs 6, 12 through 19. I think Proverbs 6, 12 through 19 is is an apt commentary on this contrast we see between Esther and Haman here. A man who's controlled by his passions and pride. Listen to Proverbs 6, 12 through 19. I want you to get that reference because I want you to be able to look at this and read it along with me. Proverbs 6, 12 through 19. So turn there. Listen to what the Bible says. A worthless person A wicked man goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger. With perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment he will be broken beyond healing. And listen to this. There are six things the Lord hates seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, and feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. That is an apt description of Haman. Judgment is coming. As I close, I want you to hear me very clearly this morning. This is serious. Judgment is coming for people just like Haman. Those that are controlled by their passions and their pride. Those that are filled with hate, evil, lies, and murder. Now here is the news you might not expect. Here is the good news of the gospel. Jesus died for people just like Haman, and people just like you, and people just like me. Because all of us, apart from God's grace, are no different than that man. Given the right opportunities, given the right circumstances, we would do everything Haman has done for the sake of our own honor. Selfish and self-centered does not do justice to the inward pride-filled hearts we actually have. Looking, we are all prone to look to others to lord our power and authority over them. We're looking to prove our worth and honor at the expense of anyone and everyone else. And yet, despite our sinfulness, despite our hell-bent nature, Jesus came in humility according to the Father's plan to rescue us from our sin and from ourselves. Now, that is good news, people. That is good news that There is no one who deserves the grace of God. Because if you deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. It would be what you earned. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who does good, not even one. The great news of the gospel is that Jesus came to save us from ourselves. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.15. It says in Christ died for all that's Haman that's Judas that's us Christ died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves no longer live for their passion and their pride no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and rose again See, it's very easy for us to bring judgment upon Haman, isn't it? It's very easy for us to point and go, God, I'm so thankful I'm not like that man. Thank you that I'm not like that tax collector. Thank you I'm not like that publican. Thank you I'm not like that sinner. But that's all of us. We need to recognize that all we can do is stand and beat our chest and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the good news of the gospel. So my point this morning is if you have never come to Jesus... You need to recognize that judgment's coming for you, just like it's coming for Haman in this story. And there is no escape. Our sin is is the gallows we have built for ourselves that we will be hanged upon. We will be condemned, not because of someone else. We don't get to blame it on the hypocrites. We don't get to blame it on other people. Our sin is our own undoing. And the only rescue we have is Jesus by his grace. Jesus died for people just like Haman and just like you. This morning, if you don't know Jesus, I invite you to turn from your sin, fall in repentance, and receive Jesus as Lord. And if you're a Christian, there's two things. Are you prayerfully prepared for ministry? Are you poised by trusting in God's providence? And are you grateful for the grace that has come to you through Jesus? I want to pray for us this morning, and then we'll be dismissed. But if God's speaking to you, I hope after this service you'll come and find one of us and let us pray for you or talk to you about Jesus. Father, would you meet with us now as we go. And Father, would you be glorified. Father, would you draw near to us. And Father, may we walk in in a manner that is pleasing to you in every respect. Father, may your grace shake us, awaken us, And Lord, may it just create in us hearts of worship, hearts of gratitude, hearts of service before you to all people for the glory of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. May God bless you as you go. Amen. Thank you, Brother Henry, for leading us in worship and choir and praise team.